everyone, this is Chad. I'm the founder and CEO of Mission.org and the host of Mission Daily, the number one podcast for accelerated learning. Mission Daily was recently selected as best of 2018 by Apple for a reason. In every single episode, you're going to learn actionable strategies that you can apply to your life to become healthier, wealthier, and wiser. Welcome to Mission Daily, and we have a special episode of the Mission Daily today because we're going to do an episode of the story after show as an episode of the Mission Daily. So what does that mean for you? It means that you're going to get to hear some of the biggest lessons learned from two of our stories that we just told in our season for January, which was transformations. That was the theme of the season. And if you're not familiar with the story, it tells the unknown backstories of people who changed the world. So stay tuned and prepare for the after show on Mission Daily. In today's episode, we're talking about two women titans of business and I have no idea why the media and the press have demonized them in such a horrible way. They sure have. And it's without substance. Both these people are really, really awesome. And we're going to be talking into some of the lessons learned from their careers today. Yep. We are highlighting Meg Whitman and Marissa Meyer. Yes. So if you're familiar with Meg Whitman, she was the former CEO of eBay. She's been at Hasbro, Disney, many other places as an executive. She's a Harvard MBA. And after eBay, she ran for governor of California. That was not a successful bid, but she went on to become the CEO of HP, which is a very large company. And along the way, she encountered doubter after doubter after doubter and hater after hater. And she got to HP. And that was at the point in her career where everyone knew her. She was very, very widely known at that point. And all the press came out about how she didn't know what she was doing and how running the CEO of eBay, just because you were doing stuff with Beanie Babies, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to know how to do an enterprise technology and software business. And I just think it's so absurd that if you're the CEO of a publicly traded company and grow it, and essentially it, she probably 10Xed it in size or something absurd like that when she was at eBay, to think that that person can't adapt to become the CEO of another publicly traded company is wild, absurd, absurd. Yeah. And especially when the people who are writing it, how much familiarity do you think that those journalists, that those reporters who were throwing stones or casting that proverbial shade, whatever everybody's saying, yep. uh, wh what business experience do you think that they had? Yeah, none. And I also think, I mean, some people might not like this, but I think journalists and the media are sometimes so much harder on women. I mean, you might women disagree. In business. No, yeah, I women agree. in business. Like if I, a man... I agree 200%. In doing yeah. the research for both of these stories, for Marissa and then for Meg, it's just astonishing how vitriolic and personal a lot of these pieces and attacks were. When you look back through these people's history and do any type of due diligence, you find nice person, works really hard, has a great family. Why Why is this all this press so negative? I know. God I'm, forbid anybody turn around a company or make an attempt to create new things. Yep. Uh, and yeah. And that's what exactly what Meg and Marissa had to do. I mean, in Meg's case, she had to come in, I think, to eBay and start laying off people instantly to right the ship and start putting it on the right path. And it takes a really strong person, not even just a woman, a person to come in and lay people off. I mean, how much does that hurt to watch people that you possibly know and work with every day and have to let them go and knowing how maybe it affects their families and them and thinking through that whole thing. I mean, she had to make hard decisions. It's horrible. And, and no, nobody delights in it. And anybody that says it doesn't bother them, they're just not telling the truth. And 
I think it's fascinating that there's absolutely no empathy for a lot of women business leaders. There's 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 no type of empathy from the press, from the media. That's very peculiar. Why would that be the case? Why would it be why is it a situation where this person just like deserves all of our hatred? And it's it's not the case at all. If anything, I think a lot of these people who encounter seemingly impossible situations, like when you go in to be become the CEO of a publicly traded company, there is so much momentum, so much baggage. Like we were talking about in a previous episode where Bezos reminds everyone that their current stock price is based on the work that they did four years ago. And that in the short run, the stock market is a voting machine. In the long run, it's a weighing machine or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And when you get into the reins of a company and start being able to control it and manage it, not only are you correcting for years and years of technical debt or legal debt or whatever type of suboptimal solutions people have, you know, basically duct tape that people have thrown on. There's just a litany of things that you have to go through. And the last thing that you want is personal attacks. Yeah. I think sometimes <laughs> those, while you're doing it. Yeah. I think those attacks can stem possibly, this is my own theory, from women being sometimes a bit more vulnerable and open. So in like Meg's case, I think so. You know, openly admitting that maybe she didn't know everything and was very open to listening. And same with Marissa when she came in and saying, hey, when I came into Yahoo, I didn't know anything. I just sat down in the cafeterias, talked to people. I didn't put together a five-year plan right away. I wanted to have 90 days just to learn. And I haven't really heard a lot of men who are, you know, in business talk about coming in and from the outside, having it look like they're doing nothing, maybe. And everyone's asking you, you know, where's your five-year plan? A lot of the people before her had had a plan within a week. Yeah, same thing with Meg. The um, 60, it was like the, uh, how many other c- CEOs had Yahoo had before? Within 61 months, I think it was seven CEOs. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, yeah. The, that's the figure. So that type of turnover is just astonishing. And you brought up an interesting point, which is your point about vulnerability is especially important here. So you don't meet too many men. And it, so this is a great opportunity for, I don't know what it's like to be a woman. I can never know. I'm a man. And as a man... One of the things I do know really well is how other men treat men in the workplace. It's pretty horrible a lot of the times. And if you do dare to display vulnerability around a certain set of things, there are a lot of people who just like crabs in a bucket type thing will start to pick that apart or they will extrapolate it into other areas. They will project on it. There's a whole bunch of horrible behavior that I've noticed men, executives, and very senior people who often don't realize that the only reason that they're there is because they just hung out. They stayed longer than everybody else. Mm -hmm. And all the most competent people left that type of organization that's that backwards. But yeah, oftentimes the people that engage in this type of uh, shaming or scapegoating of those who are vulnerable, they're the worst people to run your business. However, when you're dealing with business or something that's very high stakes or a boardroom environment or something like that, the stakes are high. There's a lot of money to be made or lost. And in those situations of high pressure, people reveal who they are. Yep, exactly. On a lighter note, I really like this fun quote from Meg when she was talking about working at eBay, which ties into the vulnerability piece, but really highlights it, I think. She says, one day a man came into my office. Actually, it was a cubicle. And he said, Meg, they're selling cars on eBay. And I said, Simon, they're not selling cars on eBay. Those are the little die cast cars. And he said, no, no, look, there's an actual real car in the miscellaneous category. And I said, well, the least we can do is give him a category. We became the largest used car dealer in the world, Whitman said. 
and it wasn't our idea. Trust me, had we been in a conference room with a bunch of Harvard MBAs, of which I am one, it would not have occurred to us to sell used cars. So that's the only thing I can tell you. Watch, listen, and stay close. I mean, that's pretty vulnerable right there saying, I'm a Harvard MBA, and we would have never had that idea on our own. I think the recognition that a lot of the trade-offs that are involved with becoming an MBA or an attorney or an engineer are trade-offs in the imagination and creativity department. And with having such an analytical mind and building up such a capacity to do very, very tedious work day in and day out and sit through eight meetings, 10 meetings a day, the ability to do that is not correlated with creative output at all. And those are just very, very different skill sets and recognizing that the creativity, the uh, pattern recognition and stuff, that might happen outside of your credentialed area or your walled garden. That's, yeah, that's what real leaders are going to recognize. Yep. I agree. And Marissa had a great quote too, that in an interview with the World Economic Forum, this is a stellar interview, you should check it out. The interviewer is kind of asking her a little bit about search engines and the fact that they're collecting so much data and think about you and things like that. And Marissa reminds the interviewer of something very profound, which is you are the query of search engines and you are the thing, the person yeah, basically the valuable thing that all of these technology companies are trying to figure out. And if you take the approach and the belief that, oh, they know more about you than you know about yourself and they can make better decisions, that is just such a lie. It's not even funny. These companies and the people that work at them are often obsessed with not just serving you ads, but serving you solutions to your problems. And I know that might be a challenging, maybe a controversial or contrarian viewpoint, but having met many of these individuals, there's no malice. They're not eager to manipulate people. They are, however, eager to serve you better than a competitor, than an alternative. And I think that Marissa reminds us of something really important that this is, again, just an alternative way of looking at things that a lot of these companies are working incredibly hard to serve you. And that by projecting fear or hatred or just demonizing them, that's a very convenient approach to the fact that we have all these free tools around us. All this stuff is free basically. And it just keeps getting cheaper and cheaper every single year. We can complain about it. We can lobby at Congress, that's fine. We can demand better terms on what we can do or what who can do with our data, which I think is a great strategy. But ultimately, just remember that there are many large groups of people out there that are not working against you. They're in fact working to serve you better than the next person. And I think that's a really fun way of looking at the world. Instead of the world conspiring against you, there are many people that are devoting their entire lives and their entire careers to serving millions and millions of people at scale. And that's a really fun thing to remember. Yep. And it also just reminds me of the little instance I had at the coffee shop with you the other day. Oh, yeah. So yeah, from, that's a great example. Yeah, from working at Google this older gentleman came up to me and I had a pretty obscure jacket on that said, I think, Geo Platforms, which no one ever knows what that is. And this guy was like, do you work on Google Maps? And I was like, yeah. And he had this beautiful story about how, you know, he loves maps and he's probably in like his 60s or 70s and mm -hmm. loves maps and how it helps him do everything in life. And it helped him arrange with his son for him to propose to his girlfriend. They were up in San Francisco and they were able to put on like location tracking to find each other and he was able to find them to pass off the ring. It was such a cute story. But afterwards I told Chad, I'm like, 
man, I think that's the first nice thing someone has <laughs> ever said to me about Google. Usually when people hear like, oh, you work at Google, it's always, well, let me tell you about, you know, you know, all my search information. Let me tell you why like maps has all these bugs. And it's just like complaint after complaint. I got used to it. And it was just such a fun story when you were highlighting that about Marissa and Meg and people complaining about stuff that ultimately people are, are trying to help you. Like a lot of these companies, I mean, I can personally say that they are really trying to make sure you have a great user experience, that they're providing everything they can to make sure that you're enjoying what they're giving you. And, and uh, yeah, that was a great experience of that. Yeah, it was, just, it was a very cool experience. And I think that what you're saying is important to remember because a lot of these experiences that are being created are people a decade ago or two decades ago, in order to buy that experience, it would have been on the order of a couple million dollars. Uh, and then if we go back 20 years, that type of GPS and mapping and location-based technology would have been tens of millions of dollars and it wouldn't have come close to how good it is today. And that type of inherited technological wealth that we're getting through these companies, through software is invaluable, but it's on us of how are we going to use it? Are we going to use it to become more? Are we going to use it to sharpen our decision-making skills? And are we going to use it to augment our intelligence? Or are we just going to be used by it? It's an open-ended question. Love that. All right. We will see you next time. See you next time. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.